0: Welcome to the heavenly banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. Today's lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Two pregnant women visit and they dream of who their children will become. But they don't dream of future doctors or lawyers or senators. They dream of revolutionaries, of children who will topple governments, upend economic systems, crush social hierarchies, dismantle systemic oppression. They dream of children who will turn the world upside down, who will throw the powerful down from their thrones and lift up the lowly, who will feed the hungry, who will feed the hungry with good things, good things. Not the leftovers or pantry rejects, canned vegetables and boiled potatoes and sardines. No, they will feed them with good things, a lavish banquet. But the rich, they'll be rejected. They aren't even invited. The women are giddy about it. It's all so wonderful but absurd and yet absolutely true. And it all sort of overwhelms them with a frantic joy that spills from their mouths as animated speech that evolves into song. The women are literally so excited about it that they start to sing about it. They improvise little songs for each other about it. Revolutions are serious business, but the future is so certain the women sing about it as though it has already happened. He has thrown down the powerful. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. It's never too early to celebrate a victory so sure it's old news before it even occurs. And every campaign needs a fight song. Every movement needs an anthem. Mary improvised one while Elizabeth kept time, hyped her up. I wonder if they danced too. I hope they danced. How could they not have danced? If we were all together, we'd sing a setting of Mary's song. Our theme music here at the Heavenly Banquet is the tune for one of my favorite settings, Canticle of the Turning by Rory Cooney. While more liturgical traditions have been in the habit of regularly singing Mary's song since the birth of the faith, many American Protestants would likely struggle to name, nevertheless sing, a setting of it off the top of their heads. No congregation that I've worked for anyhow has known or embraced a setting of Mary's song, and that presented something of a challenge every Advent when we'd read Mary's song but then struggle to sing along with her. I mean, how many settings of Mary's song do you know? How many can you sing? I don't mean classical settings of the Magnificat by Bach or Pergolesi. How many hymn settings of Mary's song can you name? How many contemporary settings do you have memorized? I bet many of you are struggling to think of one example and you're not alone. So why don't we know more settings of one of the earliest hymns of Christianity? Why don't we know more settings of a song actually recorded in the gospel? Why don't we know more settings of a song Luke's community preserved for us? Why don't we know more settings of a song the first Christians loved so much they wanted to teach it to us? They recorded it here so we could learn it. They wanted us to sing it with them. We should be arguing over which is our favorite setting, our favorite version of this song, not struggling to name a setting or complaining that it's new. It's not new. It's one of the oldest songs of the faith. But American Protestants had widely stopped singing it by the mid-19th century. Why? Because of misogyny? Probably. Well, well, not probably, surely. Because of anti-Catholic sentiment? Yeah, that tracks, because of anti-Catholic sentiment that was wedded to anti-immigrant sentiment, for sure. Yes, to all those things, but I wonder if it wasn't something else, too, because Mary doesn't just disappear from her hymnals. She gets a musical makeover. She comes back to us a changed woman in Victorian carols of a mother, meek and mild meek and mild, no longer a teenage revolutionary gleefully improvising a song about anarchy. She's literally silenced, a body, but nothing more. She so entirely loses her identity that she's often not even named, as though the mother of God wasn't a particular woman, a particular woman with a particular faith who sang a particular song. She's the yawn virgin, the mother, in the mother and child combo. She's that maiden mild, that maiden, as if to draw attention to not naming her, that maiden mild. And they never mention her musical career, the way she loved to improvise songs, the way her faith moved her to sing of a cosmic and personal revolution. Because my goodness, That song is a pretty piece of trouble, isn't it? All good punk songs are. It's a pretty piece of trouble, especially for an established church, a well-to-do church, a church facing no persecution, a church flourishing and thriving, a comfortable church. Those places don't need songs of revolution. Why would you sing of the world being turned upside down when you're on top of it? The church had no revolution in it. It didn't want any revolution in it. It had no need of revolution in it because it itself had become the Bastille to storm. Teach them Mary's song and they just might start selling property and giving all the money away. Teach them Mary's song and they just might start offering free, catered luncheons to all who were hungry, even though there's no budget for that. Teach them Mary's song and they just might reach out to the lowly and God's all-inclusive love, even though people will talk. Someone won't like it and he'll probably stop tithing. Teach them Mary's song and they just might antagonize the rich, or they just might try to dismantle the systems that make it possible for anyone to be rich. Teach them Mary's song and they just might tear down paternalistic and patriarchal structures within the church and outside it. Teach them Mary's song and they just might overthrow the government. Best not teach them Mary's song. And it's embarrassing anyhow, because look at how far the church is from accomplishing any of these goals, any of the verses of the song. There are millionaires and billionaires all over the place. And I don't think a single one of us has tried to take their money and give it to the poor to actually redistribute the wealth. Or let me know which one of you has stolen Jeff Bezos' American Express. We could use that over here. But the goals of Mary's song, the world of Mary's song, this world that Mary describes forming in her womb, this world seemed so distant that we actually silenced the song. We silenced the song, and if anyone started humming the tune, we remind them that the world of that song could only be fashioned by God, and we had no business doing anything to build that world but wait for it. And if anyone sang the refrain, we begged her patience as though that world hadn't already been formed, been created through the work of Christ. So surely did that world exist was so much more than just a promise or a possibility, but existed. So surely did that world exist that we could sing of that world already here. We don't know Mary's psalm because we largely have no revolution in us and having no revolution in us only speaks of a more distressing underlying condition of having no real hope within us, no real conviction that things can or even should be better no strength of belief in the promises of God that moves us to seize the promises as though they were already real right before us, right before us just waiting to be grasped. He has thrown down the powerful. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has and we will. He has and we will. We will. We will join the song. We will enter the life of that song. We will enter the world of that song by helping to shape it with our voices and with our hands, ordering it with our words and revealing it in our works and in big grand gestures of love, the kind of thing that gets you noticed, the kind of thing that might get you in trouble, the kind of thing that looks like nothing else because it's its own world. It's God's world, a world of revolution where the categories of low and mighty, of hungry and rich are constantly upended until they cease to exist. It's God's world, a world of revolution marked by bold love and extravagant generosity. It's God's world, a world worth singing about. They had to have danced, don't you think? I think those women had to have danced. Don't you think it could be just the most fun and the wildest time to join them? I want to join them. I want to dance with them. I want to sing with them. I pray you will too.